on the road uh, with Jesus. And what we're doing is we're looking at, in this season of vacation time, the summertime when uh, lots of people uh, get to get away and, and uh, you know, get refreshed, see some things, whatever. Um, we're talking about some occasions when Jesus traveled with his disciples from one place to another and the lessons that the, they learned, the things that they were taught, the things that they experienced, the changes that were accomplished in their lives on the road with Jesus. And last week as I introduced this series, I talked about how um, often, you know, when Sue and I were uh, younger and had young kids at home, we would take these road trips of, uh, you know, many days and, uh, you know, you just see a lot of, a lot of stuff passing by your window and a lot of ro uh, road rolling underneath your wheels. And at times it can be a little bit boring for children and they get a little antsy in the back seat and all that. But in the, at the end of the day, there is something you experience in that kind of a setting that is so memorable and so treasured uh, that uh, you can't experience any other way. And I believe that Jesus would not have done this were, the, were it not that it was purposeful. He didn't do anything, uh, he said, but that he saw the Father doing it. He, uh, he didn't say anything, but that he heard the Father say it. Um, I believe that the Lord knew that the things he needed to instruct his disciples about on these journeys could not happen in any other way. And so, here we go. And last week we talked about uh, the journey to Sychar and Jesus dealing with the woman at the well. Today we're going to be uh, talking about how Jesus and his disciples traveled from the Galilee region up to a place called Caesarea Philippi or Banias or Panias as it is on this map. And this was not a ministry journey. This was not Jesus taking his disciples to go to minister to others. Let's put it that way. It was a retreat. He was taking his disciples to a place where people would go for vacation. Uh, this is a picture from that, that area. It's right at the base of Mount Hermon. There's lots of uh, springs and so forth. It's a very, very lovely place. I've been there. And um, so Jesus, in the press of all of the, the ministry that he was engaged in, decided the, um, that it was essential for him to take his disciples away for, we don't know how long, but for some period of time, just to be with them. And what he taught them in this setting um, was so, so important for all of us as well. And so let's begin reading from Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he's asking his disciples, okay guys, what are people saying about me? What do you hear? What are, what do, who, do, who do people think I am? So they said, well some say John the Baptist. How many of you heard of John the Baptist? Okay, John the Baptist was, uh, he was a, a prophet. He was very uh, black and white, yes or no. There's no gray. There's no in-between. You are either going to heaven or you're not. He's the kind of guy that would get in, your, get in your face and say, turn or burn. You know, he's that guy. They said in answer to what are people saying about me, Jesus, when he asked that question, they, his disciples said, well, some people think that you're like John the Baptist. You get in our face and you tell us what kind of sinning scum we are. 
Others, he said, they, they in, in response to his question, who do men say that I am? Others said, well, some say you're Elijah, or like Elijah. Now, Elijah was a prophet who uh, performed a lot of miracles. In fact, you'll, some of you will remember the story of the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and how Elijah called down fire from heaven that consumed the altar, the sacrifice, that had, and all of the wood that had water had been poured on it to make sure it couldn't ignite. And it was an amazing miracle and turned the entire nation around in revival in one day. And Elijah was um, profoundly used by God in many miraculous ways. And so there are a lot of people, a lot of your friends, a lot of people you know, when they think about Jesus, they think about his miracle working. He healed people. He delivered people who were bound. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He turned water into wine. They think of that. He's a miracle worker. And then in answer to the question, who do men say that I am? Some of them answered, well, some say you're like Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet. He's called the weeping prophet because of his compassion. He would cry out to God on behalf of the people. And some of your friends, some of your neighbors, some of the people that live around this building this morning who are not in church, who don't have a relationship with God, some of them would even think of Jesus like that. Well, he's a man of great compassion. He loves people. We all know that he loves people so much he went to the cross. In answer to the question, who do men say that I am? They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, a confrontive, you know, in your face, turn or burn kind of guy. Some say you're Elijah, you're a miracle worker. Some say you're like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You're a source of great com compassion or one of the prophets. And when they were saying that, they were saying, or you're just someone who speaks for God. And there's a lot of people in the world today who, who think of Jesus as just a good teacher. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? They think that Jesus was a good teacher. His words were wise and he had good things to say. He spoke for God. So all, all of these things are true. Jesus did confront sin. Jesus did work miracles. Jesus did pour out compassion upon us. And Jesus does speak for God. But they don't capture all that he is. In fact, it's impossible for us to put together some kind of phrase, some kind of statement, some kind of uh, example that would fully capture all that Jesus is except for what happens next. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And verse 16, Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. Now a lot of people think that the word Christ is Jesus' last name. It isn't. It's his title. It's his title. Christ means Messiah. But it is such a mouthful. It is so, it's a huge, huge word. When you say that Jesus is the Christ, when Simon Peter stood up and answered the question, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ. He was saying a mouthful. He was saying, you are the embodiment of all the, the promises of God. You are the fulfillment of all the longings of our souls. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, to Simon, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, good job, Simon, but let's be honest, this didn't come from your head. But my Father who is in heaven. So he's saying, Simon, what you just said is right, but even that was given to you by my Father. And I also say to you that you are Peter. In the Greek, that's word, that word is Petros. You are Petros. A piece of rock. A piece of rock uh, small enough that you could easily pick it up or throw it. A piece of rock. You are, this is important. You are Petros. So he's talking about telling Peter something about himself. You're Petros. And on this rock, and he uses another word, Petra, on this rock, and that word Petra means massive boulder, something overwhelming in size and in gravity. On this Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the seat of authority of hell, will not be able to prevail against it. Now, th this is not... I don't mean to undermine anybody or anything, but let's just be honest. The Roman Catholic Church bases its theology of the papacy on this verse. And what they think is that Jesus was saying to Peter, you're the rock, and on you I'm going to build my church. So that's, that's where that all comes from. But that's not what's being said here. He's saying, Peter, you are a piece of the rock. You are a piece of the rock. Now that's not, that, that's a good thing. <laughs> You're a piece of the rock. But the boulder, the massive, humongous rock of Gibraltar that I'm going to build my church on is what you just said. That I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. It's on that truth that the church is built. That's what's being said here. And then in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind or restrain or restrict or tie up on earth will have already been being bound in heaven. And whatever you loose or set free or turn loose on earth, it will already have been being loosed in heaven. He's saying, heaven's going to back you up. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and heaven is going to back you up. What you bind on earth will be bound, bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is taking place at a resort area where Jesus is alone with his disciples. There's no crowds pressing in on him right now. There's nobody vying for his attention. It's just him and his disciples. And there's some things happening here that always happen when we're alone with Jesus and are important beyond description. I, I doubt whether there's anyone in the room that would, be, uh, would have an argument against spending time with Jesus. I don't think anybody here would be uh, willing to stand up and make a, you know, debate me about the value of spending time with Jesus. That's just not going to happen because we all know that it's important to spend time with him. Problem is a lot of us can't figure out how to make that time for him. And if we do, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with the time. Sometimes we kind of, we, we set aside some time for, with Jesus and we figure, okay, well, now what? So we'll pray and then we'll fall asleep in the middle of the prayer. Or we'll start to read our Bible and we'll go, man, I don't understand that. And we'll, you know. So we don't, it doesn't work for us sometimes. 
Can I say to you, can I just say to you, put all of that experience or non-experience that you have with this out of your mind and let's just start with this one truth. It is important for me to spend time with Jesus alone. If that's the only thing you walk away from here today with, that will be sufficient because that's what Jesus was saying when he took his disciples away to Caesarea Philippi. This is important. But then he goes on to talk about the benefits of that. And I'll give you a few pointers in the end about what to do at the time if you set that aside. And by the way, can I tell you, it doesn't have to be huge blocks of time. None of us just have any, you know, big blocks of free time hanging around, you know. I know, I'll just go spend three or four hours with Jesus today. That's going to be hard for us to do. I got up this morning, got ready to come down here, and uh, I spent ten minutes with the Lord this morning. Ten minutes. When I say with him, I mean undistracted. You know, just nothing but him and me. Now, that's not my usual practice. I usually spend more time than that each day with the Lord alone. Tried to just, you know, no phones, no other distractions, no Facebook, you know, <laughs> just me and Jesus. But what I'm trying to say to you is it doesn't, the quantity is not the important part of it. The doing of it with consistency is extremely important because here's what happens. Here's what happens. When you spend time with Jesus, you find out more about who he is. Time with Jesus reveals more of who he is. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. Most of us live with kind of a caricature image of what Jesus, who Jesus is. Ever been down to the to Fisherman's Wharf or someplace like that where people are drawing caricatures? What they're trying to do is capture, you know, the essence of a person in a kind of a cartoonish figure. I don't mean this in the wrong way, but most of us have a cartoonish uh, image of what she, who Jesus is in our minds. It's the best we can do. Because what we have is a hodgepodge, a patchwork of things people have taught us about Jesus, Bible stories we've learned or read, some experiences that we've had, and we've formed an impression, an image, a caricature of who Jesus is. And in some ways, it's probably, you know, uh, uh, true and sufficient to a degree, but not ultimately. And Jesus wants for us to truly know him. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're the prophets, but who do you say that I am? And it says there that God revealed to Peter, in that place where he, they were alone with Jesus, nobody else around, God revealed to Peter, this is the Christ. This is the Christ. Pretty, pretty amazing stuff. We need to know more of who Jesus is, and that happens when we're alone with him. I've lived with this woman right here, sitting in that front row, row for 40 years, and I am still learning about her. Nearly every day, I could log a new, something new I've, I've, I've learned about her. I study her. <laughs> Because if I don't, it's not good. <laughs> if I... <laughs> and just about the time I think I have her all figured out, 
something wonderful surprises me. <laughs> and uh, what a glory that is, you know? I mean, seriously, it's a glory. Um, and I, I want to approach my relationship with God in that same way. I want to discover, I want the glory of discovery every day. Finding out more about the plumbing more of the depths of this wonderful Savior that I have, this glorious God. And I, and I want for you to want that too. I want to know Jesus better than I did yesterday. I want to know more about him. I want to know the real him. You know, the book of Job is a book none of us like to read in the Bible. In fact, most of you, if you have gilded pages on your, you know, on your Bible, that, that coating that's around the, the, ex, uh, the exterior that you kind of have to break open when you first get a Bible, I'll bet you Job is still stuck. <laughs> okay. It's not a place we like to read because it's about a guy who experienced uh, incredible challenges and uh, suffering and sorrow and man it's just hard to swallow it wasn't because God did that to him he thought it was but in the end Job says this he says I have heard you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you that's an amazing amazing statement he's talking about having waded through some really really tough waters but through that whole time, he kept holding on to God, wouldn't let God go, kept pressing into him. At the end of the day, he says, what I know of you now is like having only known you by what other people said, but now I see you for myself. I want to have that kind of experience with God. I want to know him with, with I want to know him. And so the Bible says, that we can and getting alone with Jesus is one of the ways that we do that. Another thing that happens when we're alone with Jesus is that it clarifies more of who we are. I don't know about you, but I'm still trying to figure out who I am. You're looking at me like you already know who I am. I don't think you do because I'm still trying to figure that out. But Jesus does. And when I spend time with him, I get better clarity about who I am. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's great, Peter. Now let me tell you who you are. You're a piece of rock. Wow. I was talking with Mark Amisco before the early service this morning. He was telling me briefly, I still need to hear the whole story, about how when they were in Nicaragua, there were some things that were happening that were helping him understand more of his future, the plans that God has for him, who he is. That happens when you spend time with Jesus. You get a better sense of his plans and purposes for your life. Um, it's as though we see ourselves in the reflection of his eyes. When you get close enough to see your... You know, this morning before I came down here, I looked at myself in a mirror. Maybe you did too. Make sure my collar was straight and things like that. I wasn't real excited about what I saw there, but it was sufficient. And I came on, came on down here. When you see your reflection in the eyes of Jesus, now you're seeing the true you. You've got to get close enough to him to be able to see that. Um, you know, I went through a period of time in my 20s when I was uncertain about, I was just really confused about what I needed to do with my, myself. I was a young uh, dad. We had three kids, and, or I guess two at the time, and 
I had left a, a traveling music ministry to, to uh, serve in, on a staff in a church primarily because I didn't like to be away from my family. But I reached this point where I thought, well, you know, I, I got to get back out on the road. That's where my real ministry is. I, I serve Jesus, you know, singing and stuff like that. And I went to my pastor to tell him I, you know, my, what I decided. I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to get back out on the road. That's my real calling. And he looked at me. He, he, he did this. He goes, you know, the little roll of the eyes kind of thing, the knowing sort of sigh. And he said to me, he said, Randy, you are a pastor. You know, music's always going to be part of your life, but you are a pastor. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you, every time you see your reflection in a mirror, in a pane of glass, puddle of water on the floor, wherever you see your reflection, I want, to point to, I want you to point to your reflection and say, you are a pastor. Do that until it doesn't seem awkward anymore. It was really awkward at first, but eventually I broke through that thing and I discovered more of who I am. But, and I thank God for the role my pastor played in that, but ultimately it was because I pressed into Jesus. And the more you get to know him, the more you get to know about yourself. And it settled an issue for me that I needed settled. In Romans chapter 14, verse four, it says, who are you to judge another man's servant? In other words, we, we often, don't we, judge one another? We make judgments about what you're, what, you know, you, based on what you look like, what you sound like, how you do things. We make judgments about one another. And, and Jesus said to, uh, or Paul says, um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 4, who are you to judge another man's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. He will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. And, and the point here is that, God is the one who knows who you are. No one else gets to set the agenda for your life. No one else gets to say whether you stand or fall. Only him and he says you will stand. And we get to know that when we spend time with him. The third thing that came out of this passage when, uh, or comes out of this passage where Jesus is alone with his disciples is that spending time with Jesus assures us of his power. After telling Peter, you're a piece of the rock, and on the boulder of your confession, I'm going to build my church, he said, he said, the gates of hell will not stand against it. The gates, the seat of authority, will not stand against it. I don't know what's coming against you, but I know that stuff comes at me, challenging me, nearly every day of my life, but there is one who has overcome it all. And no matter how heinous the, the strategy, no matter how uh, forceful the implementation of that strategy, it will not prevail. And when I spend time in the presence of the Lord, I am reminded, I am reassured, oh, he's got this. He's big enough to deal with this. He can handle this we had some of our you know just you guys know last week when the Nicar or uh, 10 days ago when the Nicaragua team left they had all kinds of trouble getting out of uh, 
getting to Houston and then out of Houston. And it was a big challenge. And I told you guys last week, one of the top things that I'm going to hear about this week when they get back is how, what a blessing that turned out to be. And that's exactly what happened this morning as I was interviewing them as I came in. So what, what the enemy meant for harm became a blessing. We had two of the team members didn't get their luggage until this past Thursday. And so I went to Cece, who was one of them over here, and I, see, I, 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 I said, you, looks like you got a change of clothes. And she, and she said, yeah, but it was all good. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound all good to me. But you see, God is better, bigger, greater, more powerful than anything. And when I spend time with him, I'm assured that no matter what, he's got this. He's bigger than this. Last Friday when we sent the kids off to camp, they showed up with the wrong bus. I was just telling somebody, I don't know if it was you, Alan, I was just saying, well, I sure hope that bus gets in here on time. I'm always just a little bit nervous they're going to send us the wrong, the wrong bus. And sure enough, they sent us the wrong bus with no understorage. We've got 50, ki- 50 people we've got to get on a bus and no place to put their gear. So everybody had to camp out here for another hour and a half waiting for them to turn the bus around and all that kind of stuff. You know what? <clears throat> God is bigger than that. He worked anyway. <laughs> he worked anyway. No matter what the enemy tries to do, to throw things off, to mess things up, God is greater still. And when we spend time with him, we are reassured of that. It's easy. It's, I mean, it's interesting how our doubts and fears multiply when we don't spend time with him. But when we are in his presence, doubts and fears dissolve. Last thing. Spending time with Jesus increases our spiritual authority. He said, I'll give you the keys. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. They're yours. And I'm going to back you up. What you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. That's pretty powerful. He's talking about the authority he's giving us in his name. The end of the book of Mark, it says this. It says, in the name of Jesus we will cast out devils in the name of Jesus we will pray for the sick and they'll recover now sometimes we get the idea that what we're what we're doing is sort of um, we're using the name of Jesus like a magic phrase or an incantation in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus and we hope something happens, you know. You know, cross our fingers, all that. And it's, it's not that at all. When we declare the name of Jesus, it is not an incantation. It's, a, it's an expression, a statement of our confidence in His authority. When I confront any um, place where the kingdom of darkness has encroached on or attempted to encroach on something God wants to do, whether it's in my family, in my life, or in a ministry situation, at work, whatever it is, wherever I feel like the enemy has come to encroach upon that to work his foul schemes, I can declare the authority of Jesus over that. In Jesus' name, stop this. Not in my name, not because I'm anyone great, as I'm not, but he is. And Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus 
every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's power in that name. And Jesus said, I give it to you. I give you authority. And we discover that spiritual authority by spending time with Jesus. Now, before I let you go, let me just say this. There is no magic formula to how to spend time with Jesus. It's just time you set aside for Jesus. Sometimes you pray. Sometimes you read the Bible. Sometimes you just sit there. And sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's hours. But the important thing is the consistency and the heart you bring to it. You don't want to come to that point staring at your watch. You want to come there without, no, without any agenda but him. And when you do, he will reveal more of himself to you. He will clarify more of who you are to yourself. He will assure you of his power and he will increase your spiritual authority. That sounds pretty good to me. This is recording number 11113 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 13, 2014. This is the second message in a series by Randy Bolt titled, On the Road with Jesus. This message is titled, The Power of His Presence. 